So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for Peter, just the way that he served this week already and preparing and pondering and ruminating your word and allowing your, your spirit to speak to him. And we just open our hearts. Thank you for the gift, the sacrament of your word as it comes to us. So bless him today and, and help us to listen as you empower him to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, so I thought that to talk about the um, flood, um, three chapters in Genesis, um, you don't normally preach on three chapters, but I was talking to a couple of friends of mine and they were saying that actually it can be good to look at larger portions of scripture because we can get a sense for how the um, structure and how God puts together the different um, paragraphs and um, different parts of scripture and that there's actually revelation in that and it's not just, you know, verse by verse reading. Um, so we're going to read uh, my condensed version um, uh, so maybe a couple different ones of us. I'll start off and then some other people. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those with him in the ark.
And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between you and me and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds of the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. This is the word of the Lord. Um, it is the word of the Lord, but it also kind of feels a little harsh. I don't know if anybody else. Um, so we're going we're gonna to try to unpack that. Um, but it, it is an interesting thing to think about that this is the, the story that gets, you know, um, children dies so much um, that there's actually a, a lot going on in this story and a lot about um, things that we we may not be particularly comfortable with or, you know, um, waters that we may not swim in all the time. Um, as I unpack that, um, let me note um, a couple of sort of interesting things that I found. Um, just before the section on Noah, there's a very strange discussion about sons of God taking daughters of men as their wives. Um, and there's sort of a traditional view that thinks about sons of God as angels, because uh, that's one of those things that that term could mean. There's another view that thinks about them as perhaps um, pagan kings, um, a la, you know, the pharaoh of Egypt thought he was a god, the son of a god. Um, and it's interesting that there's a parallel that they saw that the um, daughters of men were good, attractive, and they took them, took whoever they wanted as their wives, which is the same sequence um, as the temptation of Eve when she saw the apple was good and took it. Um, and so there, there's a progression, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, of this building um, depravity, this building brokenness in this world, and um, that uh, sort of confusing story is clearly part of that building um, brokenness. There's also this word, uh, Hebrew, naham, um, Dean's Hebrew is better than mine, um, that gets translated as uh, God was grieved, um, God repented, and, and some people over the years have found that a really troubling thing to be like, well, if God changed his mind, then how is he eternally perfect? Like, what is, what's going on? And um, I read some commentary talking about how it's a very strange word um, that means, like, sometimes it gets translated as grieved, and sometimes it gets translated as comforted. Um, and uh, this commentator, John Walton, uh, who I would recommend, suggested that there was a sense in which it was a balancing of the accounts um, and that in the context in Noah, it actually made, a, made more sense to say that like God was sort of auditing people, that he, he looked and he saw the depravity and the wickedness and the sin and brokenness um, of the world and that he, he was sort of saying, okay, 
I need to bring things back into balance. Um, and, and you can tell that even, um, even translating it that way, there's still a sense that the, the sin and brokenness of the world breaks God's heart, but it's, you don't necessarily get into that quandary about you know, God changing his mind or whatever. Um, so this was also something um, that several of my friends pointed out to me that I did not realize. Um, some of you may recognize this as a chiastic, or um, if you, my wife is looking at me because she's a, her Greek pronunciation is better than mine. Um, in the in the Greek, it would be like a chiastic structure uh, from the Greek letter, uh, which is an X. Um, so you can see there's sort of like a reverse parallelism. Uh, come to me, my burden, you who, you're who um, heavy laden, my burden is light, my yoke, take my yoke, my yoke is easy, and then there's sort of a thing in the middle. Um, and so like that's just, you know, a sentence. Um, but amazingly, and I was actually really surprised, um, the entire story of Noah is one giant um, chiasm. Um, and I, looking at a chart like that, it's kind of like what's like hard to get my head around. Um, and so there, there's even like a mini one just uh, talking about the numbers of uh, days. And as you can see, everything is centering around um, the beginning of chapter 8, God remembers Noah. So hopefully this can give you a sense. Um, the, the one column is sort of going from the beginning of the story to the uh, forward, and the other column is going from the end of the story uh, backward. And you can see that there's quite a repetition. And like, I, I partly, I didn't even believe it until I like had two tabs in my browser open and was, you know, started at chapter six and one started at chapter nine and I was reading and I was like, seriously? And it just, like the repetition just keeps going. Um, and there you can see with the numbers, the 150 year, or days, 600 years, 150 days. Um, so I highly recommend that you take a little bit with a Bible or your electronic Bible. And, and so this, this sort of incredibly, va you know, multiple chapters structure all centers around God remembering Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock were with him. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded, which is a picture of God recreating, you remember from Genesis 1, the spirit hovered over the waters. And so there's a, there's a sense in which the story of Noah is, is a recreation. Um, and, and in, you know, um, but it, at, before you can recreate, you destroy. Um, so there, there's this watery chaos um, and I looked at the Russell Crowe Noah film. Um, unfortunately, it 
it was very dramatic with lots of rain and thunder and lightning and also like Noah shutting the ark himself um, like in the midst of the rain and it, I just was like, no, like, like God shut the ark um, and it, it wasn't, um, I don't think it was this like big climactic battle that they pictured in the film. I think, um, it, fascinatingly, um, one of the commentaries suggested that we often picture people in Noah's day as not listening to Noah, that he was pre- and, and ridiculing him for believing in divine judgment. But uh, in the ancient Near East context, people actually took divine judgment seriously. So, the, you know, he was saying, we have this picture of everybody, you know, not wanting to get on the ark and then at the last minute, like, running to it, where maybe if they, there's a, you know, the, the, there's not much discussion about Noah warning everyone. Um, so that, w- that was my modern interpretation um, of the flood coming and destroying So the flood is a picture of God's judgment. Um, In fact, it is a a picture of God's complete or or like strong judgment. In fact, he he promises that he will never judge the world in that way until the very end of the world, until everything is all over. Like that, that's sort of the the apocalyptic. level of judgment. Um, so how, how do we understand judgment then? Well, here's something that Jesus has to say about that. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate has mi- had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. I think it's really easy when we're faced with judgment to sort of single out people as particularly deserving of it. Um, and the text talks about the, the utter depravity of man at this point. It talks about, uh, I was, th- it, it sounded to me like, uh, let me find what, post-apocalyptic dystopian science fiction. Every w- inclination of everyone's hearts, every thought continually was evil. Um, and some people talk about the think that the, the talk about the flood is this super violent act, um, but clearly God's judgment is on wanton violence. 
Because that's the specific sin that gets named as to what people were doing that, that God, you know, brought this judgment for. Um, so, so the flood is this, you know, apocalyptic, ultimate judgment. Um, but Jesus... I think he kind of clearly says that, you know, we can't go around assigning judgment, like looking at, at things, um, looking at natural disasters and being like, oh, that's God's judgment. Oh, that's God's judgment. Oh, that's God's judgment. Um, I was talking with Jessica and she said something that I thought was a really helpful way of thinking about it. Because the, the story of the flood um, and throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, the Bible makes it very clear that judgment is certain. That there, um, there's not, you know, God sort of being like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just wait and oh, things are terrible, I'll destroy everyone. Um, I don't know if any of you have looked at the Epic of Gilgamesh, but in there, there's a, a story of the flood, um, and people <clears throat> upset the gods by making so much noise and being so numerous, and then at the end of the story, the gods are like, oh, we need people to provide sacrifices for us. This was a terrible idea. And that's not the picture of God in um, the Bible. The picture of God is somebody who has a plan and provide, like, step by step, you know, he I'll, chooses Noah. He says, this is what I'm going to do, Noah. And he is walking through um, that um, So, so there is no, judgment is a certainty, but as Jesus is pointing out in Luke 13, it's not a mathematical certainty. Like you can't say, oh, I've sinned this much, I'm going to experience this much judgment, or I'm this, uh, you know, I'm better than those people who were judged in that way. Um, and, and I feel like as humans, we have a really hard time wrapping our minds around a certainty that's not a mathematical certainty. Um, Second um, Peter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it, 
has since the beginning of creation, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water, and by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Um... But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's this very tricky thing where there is a, a certainty of judgment, but it doesn't work in a precise mathematical formula. And as the Bible reminds us repeatedly, um, Jesus says, you know, you don't know the hour of my coming, so be ready. Um, and I, I wonder sometimes if... God is coming all the time. And that when he says, be ready, what he means is, see what I'm doing. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. It feels kind of weird. Like, I, I wouldn't do it that way. Um... But, you know, when it, then I look at my heart and I, I think, wow, I, I both have weeds and wheat in my heart. Like, what, what, what's judgment going to do to me? Um, so the, the flood is a, a picture of judgment. And there is judgment um, that is certainly coming, but not mathematically certainly coming. Um, and there is, there is also a judgment that has happened. There is the ultimate, the, the judgment against, against with which all other judgments are compared. Um, and that judgment is the cross. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross.
I think that there are a number of ways that the cross is judgment. Um, it is a judgment on our sin in Christ, that Christ is judged and, and suffers for us. But I think that when our hearts come to the cross, we find the, the sin judged by the recognition that it is sin. That it's incredible to me that a judgment as great as the flood is a picture of what sin really is. Like, it really is that bad. Like, um, we, we don't get a, a picture of, a, um, at, at least here, we don't get a detailed accounting of everything everybody ever did wrong and why God's punishment is just. But we can know, we, we, we trust that God's punishment is just. And so we can say, well, it, it doesn't seem that bad to me, you know, but, but it is that bad. And when we look at the cross, we see Christ judged for our sins. And we can, can say, wow, that really is that bad. And that's not a, a mathematical calculation. That's a relationship. Um, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned, he judged sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but who live according to the spirit. Hmm. Let us remember God's judgment. Um, let us Hold his love uh, and judgment together uh, as best we can and to trust Jesus who holds them together ultimately. Um, God, God, you are faithful and just. You are loving and your judgment is certain, uh, even if it is confusing. I pray that you would give us eyes to see ourselves as you see us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Do you guys want to come up for another song? Hey, Peter. We've defined sin in the last couple of weeks as broken community, the breakdown of relationship. Because God is love, when relationship breaks down, everything falls apart. Last week we looked at Cain and Abel, how that even the blood of Abel on the ground caused the earth to say, I'm not going to bear fruit anymore. The whole environment is affected by the breakdown of relationship. And what I love about that passage that Peter just read out of is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God didn't stand up in heaven and beat his son over the head and say, that's for all the bad things my other kids did. God was in Christ reconciling the world, taking on our, our rage, taking on our wrath, taking on our hostility and our violence and one of the things I feel the Lord wants to do today is to touch people who've been traumatized by violence. There are people in this room who've had trauma through violence. And the Holy Spirit, I love that interpretation and exegesis of the, of the repent word. God's, God's comfort and his pain over our sin. His, his pain was was what we were doing to him and to each other, but his comfort was is that his mercy triumphs over judgment. That he redeems. And there's some of us that have been traumatized and he wants to bring his comfort today. Are there any other words just before we sing this song? This, you sense just things the Lord is doing from, through his spirit. And I think what Rose said earlier about his love casting out all fear. The cure for trauma is not vengeance, it's love. Perfect love casts out fear. I just have the picture of being rooted and grounded in love. And that the picture is where the Lord would take us if we have, um, and many of us have, been subject to violence or subject to neglect, uh, abandonment, and just be transplanted like a little shoot where the Lord wants to, if he, we would just not panic and not run away and just let him take us and repot us or replant us in the soil of his love. So just waiting on the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit to carefully let us be planted again in his love. Rooted and grounded in his love. And the promise is that we, if we are planted, we will flourish. So sometimes it's, it's temptation is not to stay and not to remain. Like to come to church only once a month or something or just to hang out with our friends only for half an hour instead of a little bit longer where someone can just pray over us and love us. Do you know what I mean? It's always like, let's rush, rush, 
But the Lord says, just be still, be quiet, and let me just do this work. It's not, your, it's not a human work. It's a, it's a work by the power of the Holy Spirit to plant us again. And we have this beautiful community garden that's getting ready to be replanted. And some of the seeds that are there are going to start shooting up. It's a beautiful picture for us. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to relentlessly, patiently allow the weeds and the wheat to grow together. That, as Peter said, you're not, you're not slow. You're patient. You're not slow. You're patient. So Holy Spirit, come. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. As Peter rightly pointed out today, I think that the issue was not that they were rebelling against Noah's message. They were just too busy. They were too preoccupied. Because the whole context is watchfulness. Not for some apocalyptic ending, but Watchfulness for how God is coming today. Watching, looking, waiting, alertness. Wake us up, Lord. Wake us up. Wake us up, Lord. I speak to our spirits. Awake. Awaken. See the time. See the day. See this moment. See an eternity a billion years from now looking back at this time and go, oh my God, that moment we were in. Awaken us, Lord, to your mercy and your grace. Come, Lord.